last few weeks, we have been in this series uh, that I've entitled, Follow Me. The idea is out of our mission statement, Following Jesus Together. And so we're going to conclude that today with this message titled, Really Love, Really Love. So if you'll join me in standing to honor God's word, and if that's not, you're not able to do that, please be seated or stay seated, but uh, to honor God's word, please stand. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, it says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold on tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be ready to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Do this. You will, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I said, over the last few weeks, we have been reminding, refreshing, and hopefully for some of us who have been around here a while, rerouting ourselves in our mission to love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together, uh, not just inside, but also outside our community. Last weekend, we took a deep, deeper swim into the why and how we follow Jesus in and through our vocations as disciples, and hopefully you had the opportunity to hear that and digest it and think about it and work that through. The very kingdom of God uh, is not only found, in, in short, found in the temple or in the synagogue or in the church community group, but as much as it's, it's found as much in the workplace and the marketplace. That's why God is in the place of a parking lot or in a school. He's in those places and spaces, and we quickly find ourselves uh, engaged and intersecting with others in those places where Jesus wishes to see it happen. We talked about last week, we explored uh, how work, our vocation is defined, or more aptly, how it can, can be defined by Christ through uh, three C's, creativity, compassion, and calling. Yet, inside of all that, and the slogan we use around here is we talk about living out love. 
to, to live out the love of Jesus. And that can seem rather sappy in a lot of ways, as I was reminded in a conversation this week, even within the church. That it can seem rather short-sighted or uh, easy. Yet God's covenant love with Israel was not, was not short-sighted, nor was it easy. It was rather difficult. And as we follow the, the love of God, not only in the Old Testament, but into the New Testament, we realize the great difficulty of what it means to live out love that is both truth and grace bound. And inside of that, and that is what we've been called to live out as disciples. People bound by the, by the Bible and the God of the Bible to live out his love to those around us. Uh, just take a journey through uh, John chapter 13 through 17. You don't have to do it now, but maybe take a reading and you'll find out just the uh, level of love that is stated there. It's, love is what Jesus prayed and stated would be the difference between those who follow him and those who don't. As we know and as we live to around here, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself is what we're, kind of, we're bound to. And whether we were in this church or not, I think Scripture binds us to that code and that command. On the last evening prior to his crucifixion with his disciples, Jesus stated that they were to love one another as he had loved them. And inside of that, what does he say? So if you're questioning whether love is something easy to do, he says, no greater love has this than one who lays down his life for another. That's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. It's not a love of do whatever you want to do and be who you want to be. It's a love that's bound by the boundaries found within the Bible, but given to us by God, lived out by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit. So if you take that slow stroll through John, uh, John chapters 13 and 17, that's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth of the gospel written rather uh, peculiarly different on purpose. You'll find the repetition and the word and the theme of love over and over and over. It, it is not this love that captures a, a young a uh, young lover's heart in the springtime, right? I don't know if you've been on college campuses, the ring before spring thing. Whether that's real and you live through that and all that kind of stuff, that's great. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus is necessarily talking about here. It may be, but it's not necessarily being talked about here. It is of a seasoned shepherd who desires his sheep to hear his voice and to live in the confines of the kingdom's boundaries. Not to burst through them and create their own path. Paul, writing his letter to the Romans, could not stay away from this word either. In fact, if you're familiar with this letter to the Romans, you realize that there's a, there's a huge amount of doctrine that plays its front part of this, this passage that we're looking at. I mean, it's kind of paving the way to what we're, lo what we're looking at. And I'm so grateful, <laughs> maybe this is bad, but I'm so grateful it's Paul that's writing this. Why? Because Saul, 
Paul was the one that was blasted to the ground in Acts 9 by Jesus, the one whom loves his soul but would not let him go. Now think about that. It was love that, that compelled God to grab a hold of Saul's life and his heart and to turn him 180 degrees in passion. He had passion for God aimed in one direction. It was wrong, but it was aimed in one direction. And the Lord turned him out of love and turned him in another way. From assaulting those who loved and lived for Jesus to participating with them in proclamation of the love, truth, and grace and mercy found in Jesus. In fact, that's what you find in Romans. Is that Paul declares in these early chapters is that God, in God, no one, as God perceives and sees, no one is without sin. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, doesn't matter. We're all found in sin, and he was found there. And we're urged by Paul in this passage of Scripture that our true and proper worship, if you look at the top of Romans 12, that our, our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, not just our, our minds, but our, our whole being and every part of us needs to be transformed to be able to, to complement the grace and mercy that God has given to us. Why? Why? To state the obvious, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. His life, his death, and his resurrection fully embraced and embodied the love of God for those he came to die for. Jesus, Jesus desires us as followers of him to follow in the same path, to die for others, to put to death those things within us that are at odds with who he is and what he calls us to live out in the kingdom. So in this passage, this may be overly simplistic, and I realize this, but I think there's some powerful premises to these. In this passage, what I see are three things that, that God moves us toward to really love, not to pretend. One, we need to be present we need to be present. Uh, he says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Uh, if you didn't know, you can pretend to love others. Right? Who knew? I, I think all of us have been taken in by the notion of love, right? You know, if you really love me, you fill in the blank. We all have been taken in. Paul is saying to them, those, to, to them then, those Romans and the church there and us, you need to really love one another. And that is the, the crux of the case for the kingdom of God in the world. Did you know that? That the church, that the people who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ look at each other and they really love each other. They live it out in ways that are tangible and palatable around them. That's, that's the salt and the light of the world. 
It has been from the very beginning. The, the covenant love of God that was established was established to create a nation separate and distinct from anything else around them. And so our ideas of loving at a distance do not work. That's why we have to be present with one another. Why would somebody pretend at love? Why would somebody say they love you, but not? The word pretend here in the Greek is, is really an, it's an act. It's, it's, it's being an actor. It's hypocritical. Why would they do that? In most cases that I know about and that I've per- per- perpetrated, yep, that's right, that I've perpetrated, it is to get something from someone else. To get something or something, or, you know, to move people to do things that you may want them to do. That's what pretend love's about, generally. It's to move them. John the Beloved, one of Jesus, writes this about Jesus himself, for God, for, or for, about God and Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. The one thing that we need to come to understand is that God is a giver. That is his first move. It was his first move in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. It was to give them covering. It was to replace something that was lost. And pretend love takes. But real love gives. Ever been there? Pretend love? Maybe you didn't know it. We'll give a little bit of grace there. Or maybe it's been perpetrated, but you know what it is. And the crazy thing is, is that God is a giver. He's given. So what happens when we really love someone? It's not about getting. It's about giving. And we're present with them, right? We want to be with them. This idea of being present is this idea of with. Remember we talked about that in the first message, that we're with God, we're present with him, but the crazy thing is, is he was present with us before we ever thought about him. And so love is present with others. It's attentive and it's responsive. I didn't say how it was responsive, Don't read too much into it, but it is responsive. I mean, how many love that? Um, Confession. Uh, When I was first uh, brought to the church, and I still have this, uh, this proclivity within me, there was a lady that was sitting about four rows back. She is now deceased. She just recently deceased passed away and they did her funeral. I, I, I went to shake her hand and I, as some leaders do and some people do uh, wrongly, I began to look around even as I was shaking her hand, like who else, because I didn't know people. 
I didn't know a lot of people. I started looking around. They're like, all right, who's walking towards me? Who do I need to see? And she looked at me and she said, I don't like it when people don't look at me when I'm talking to them. It's like, whoa. That's right. Now, was she wrong? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And we had a conversation later, which I thanked her for. I need more people like that in my life, actually. People want to be seen. They want to know that you're engaging with them, that you're not moving past them to another thing. Oh, it's so important because what happens when we're present with them is exactly what scripture, this scripture passage alludes to and says specifically. We give them devotion. We are d- devoted to them in, in our visually, and at least we're present with them. We're listening to them, and we give them honor when we do that. You ever s- sit down with somebody and just sat with them, and you just wait for them to talk? You wait for them to express themselves. You're just being present, right? Next slide, Tommy. You have the wonderful opportunity also, not only in that, is not to go somewhere to give hospitality or invite them into hospitality, but as the scripture is extolling, as Paul's trying to say, look, when you do that, you're giving them the hospitality of Jesus. You're entreating them to the kingdom when you see them with the eyes that I've given you. He want, Paul wants people to do that. Uh, can you imagine being on the streets calling out to Jesus when you needed help from him? I mean, think about some of the stories in the scripture. <laughs> Son of David, have mercy on me. And he, he stops. And he, he walks toward you and your eyes match. I don't think his gaze looked away. You see, Jesus wants us to be him. He wants us to see the people around us. He wants us to be present. And that starts, if you're gonna put it in context, that starts with here, in this place with those you call your church family or your community of faith, that you see each other. That's how the world knows that love really lives. But as I've already shared my own story, we tend to get in the way of being present with others. We tend to get in the way of being present with others. Uh, Philippians 2 kind of has this setup to this this explanation of Jesus, this uh, our Messiah. It says this, if you have any encouragement with being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Rather, in humility, we'll get to that one in a second, value others above yourself. Not looking in your own interests, but each of you should look at the interests of others. Our our consuming 
time of mind and our life is about us. And we have to admit that. Uh, There's a certain amount of self-care we need to do, right? We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's true. But when it comes to really loving others, that means that we're present with them. We ask about them. We inquire of them. I think the next principle or virtue that comes to play in this passage of Scripture as a people who really want to love well and really love is that we be patient. Be patient. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Everyone. I, again, am thrilled that Paul is writing this. Why? Because Paul didn't do this really well. (laughs) That may be bad, but it's the truth. He had a few run-ins with just a few people, you know, through his career, his time serving the Lord. And he doesn't say that you're going to do this perfectly. He says, do all that you can to live at peace. I mean, not only did he have run-ins with townspeople that he was sharing the gospel, you know, about the risen Messiah with, but he had issues even within those of his own clan and tribe. He had a dispute about whether, uh, whether one should go with him or not because of their, uh, he thought, their flakiness. I'll just put it that way, and their devotion. But that we are to be patient people, patient people who are willing to wait and listen and proceed with caution. Uh, we, to be patient, we need to be calm and, yep, easygoing in some ways and understanding. I think that calms a lot of the issues that we might want to walk into with all fours and dive into, but we need to be a patient people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Parker Palmer writes this, Relational trust is built on movements of the human heart, such as empathy, commitment, compassion, patience, and a capacity to forgive. And when we're patient, with people around us, we're able to wait not only on them, but we're able to wait on the spirit of the living God. Because again, we get in our way. We tend to move when the spirit's saying, whoa, just hold on. We need to be a patient people who are willing to wait for the Lord to move. I mean, Bless those who persecute you? What's our first reaction? Our first reaction is, are you kidding me? They, and he's like, whoa, whoa. Remember who I am. Remember what I've said to do that I will take care of, right? This, This admonition to live in harmony with each other is an admonition toward patience with others you don't know their story completely 
and they don't know yours. But we're able to live into that and really love, realizing that the one who loves us is going to take care of us. That's really what we're found in, that God himself will love us and take care of us as we need. Right? We need to be people who are patient. When we are, the spirit of the living God, as followers, gives us the strength to follow through. And when we really love, lastly, we need to be people who are, we, are, we be humble. Be humble, that's great. We need to be humble. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Humble is just this idea of, of gentle, respectful, and peaceful. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Again, repeated phrases by Paul over and over again, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I got to thinking about what is humility often interpreted? Well, it mean, oftentimes we think, even, even though we know mentally, that it means that we, we, we kind of let things go. We allow things to slide, even if we know they counter the truth of what God and his kingdom desires. And then I got to thinking, oh, wait a second. I remember a story a little while ago that shocked everybody, and it had to do with Mother Teresa. Maybe you remember this, and I think this is, humil- this is truly what humility is. It may be a little bit different than you're thinking. That God places us in places not to back down, but to declare the truth, but to allow God to do what he needs to do after we do that. At the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. on February 5th, 1994, Mother Teresa stood before President and Mrs. Bill Clinton and Vice President and Mrs. Al Gore, along with 4,000 others in attendance and called abortion murder. Here's what she said. I feel that the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a a war against the child, a direct killing of the innocent child, murder, murder by the mother herself. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? How do we persuade a woman not to have an abortion? As always, we must persuade her with love and remind ourselves that love means to be willing to give until it hurts. Jesus gave even his life to us, so the mother who is thinking of, a, of an abortion should be helped to love. That is to give until it hurts her plans, her free time, to respect the life of her child, The father of that child, whoever he is, also must give till it hurts. By abortion, she goes on, the mother does not learn to love, but kills even her own child to solve her problems. She's, again, getting in the way of oneself. And by abortion, that father is told that he does not have to take responsibility at all for the child he has brought into the world. The father is likely to put other women into the same trouble So abortion just leads to more abortion. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love. 
but to use any violence to get what they want. This is why the greatest destroyer of love and peace is abortion. She concluded her speech with the words of hope and a reminder that we are called to use our freedom for higher purposes than murder. If we remember that God loves us and that we can love others as he loves us, then America can become a sign of peace from the world, for the world. From here, a sign of care for the weakest of the weak, the unborn child must go out into the world. But if you become a burning light of justice and peace in the world, then really you will be true to what the founders of the country stood for. And she said at that time, God bless you. So a lot of times we think that humility is not stating the truth and not stating what needs to be said in the moment, but humility is knowing who you are in Christ and knowing where God has placed you in that moment to be able to speak his kingdom, his truth, and his actions to those even in power. Humility is not a, door, a, you know, a, a mat, doormat, but humility is knowing who you are and living into that strength and speaking it and declaring the change that needs to take place. Today, uh, the late theologian John Stott says this, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. We're familiar, or maybe we're not so familiar with this scripture that says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In love, in love, we need to be people who are present with others, hearing their story, being patient with with them in that storyline of who they are with one another and living into the humility of who we are as a people. It's not the weakness, but the strength of who we are and the love that he's placed within us to live it out. That's what it means to really love. But the question is, how do we get to that place? How how do we get to the place where we can be present with one another? That in being present, we we can actually practice patience with one another. And that in that, even in the midst of those conversations, we can be humble. Uh, Not, as the scripture talks about, not not engendering ourselves to the evil that is around us, but being humble and knowing that God is in control. How can we do that? What What is the... What's the thing that seems to be chasing us down to as followers who desire to live for Jesus? What is chasing us down in our inability to live this some days, in some moments in our time? And how will the spirit of the living God speak into this place of brokenness? Well, first and foremost, I think it goes back to what Paul encourages those who are reading Romans then as Junia was reading it to them probably for the very first time, surrender yourselves. Surrender yourselves, all of yourself. That means 
That means confessing that God is in control, that what he declares good is good and right, and what is not good is not right and good. We have to make those declarations in our lives. I think that's first and foremost is completely the surrender to him. But can I tell you, and this may not seem equal to what I just said, but I think it's there and close. For some of us who uh, are are moving at the speed of light or sound, whatever one you wish, we need to slow down. We just simply need to slow down because part of the reason we're not able to make some of the clear-minded, spirit-driven decisions and responses we are to be present, to be patient, and, and to live in the humility is because we're going way too fast. The pace and cadence of where we have to be and when we have to be there doesn't give our souls time to recharge, to be reminded, to be refreshed. I think that that's that's our current state. We just need to simply every day surrender. That God, your truth is your truth, and it is true. And that we just need to slow down and allow the truth to penetrate the very cracks and crevices of our lives and hearts. Paul encourages the Romans to really love. He encourages them to love. And how do we do that? We really love by being present with one another. If you have young kids, you understand this, and being patient and being humble, reminding ourselves not of of what we're not, but who we are in Christ and living into the strength of what he's given to us. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that you call us, you invite us, you entreat us to follow you. And Father, our hearts desire to follow you, but way too often, uh, I'm outpacing Whatever is on my schedule. I'm outpacing my heart and my soul to stay in check with you. So, Father, this morning, I I surrender once again. Uh, As I did earlier this morning, I surrender to you, and I pray, Father, that my friends will refresh their surrender, if you will, to you this morning. And remind us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that as we do, as we confess that you are right and you are God and your truth stands, that, Father, we can come into pace with you. We can slow down. We can breathe normally. We can have conversations that are deep and full and presence. And we can pray in the Spirit's work to whatever and whoever we are with, reminding ourselves to really love means to really live into who you called us as sons and daughters of the Most High. Father, lead us, I pray. Lead us as sons and daughters 
to live, to live out your love. In Jesus' name.